Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Money FM 89.3. Good evening. It is now time for Market View. I'm Elliot Danker together with Chua Tian Tian. Um, a strategic review of its portfolio of businesses with a view of enhancing shareholder returns, commercial sustainability, one of the things being talked about by SingPost. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, Tian Tian, but for now, mm. let's uh, get a recap of how we started the day. Right, so a little bit of uh, everything everywhere here today. Singapore shares opened slightly higher today after international markets ended mixed on news of US inflation cooling. So in early trade, uh, we do see the Singapore Straits Times Index up 0.03% to 3,423 points. Some 71 million securities were traded. But if we look at the closing numbers right now, we would realise that the STI actually closed down today. It's a 039 percent in the red and we are looking at 3,229 points. Now, value turnover wise, uh, we are looking at 1 billion sing dollars. Gainers tripped losers 246 versus 287. Top advances, Venture Corp, GMHUSD and Food Empire and top decliners, DBS, UOB and Jardin Cycle and Carriage. Now, in terms of companies to watch, we do have Singapore Airlines. The national flag carrier announced that it intends to redeem half of the mandatory convertible bonds or MCBs it issued back in June 2021. Now, meanwhile, shares of the place holdings hot stock for today after the group said it is in talks to sell up to 11% of new vision holdings. Now, as you mentioned, SingPost earlier, investors keeping their eyes on this company as well as a capital land investment. So for more market moves and views, let's speak to David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. David, welcome to the show. Hi, good evening. Thanks for having me as usual. Great to have you on board. And David, let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How did the STI fare today? All right, all right. Well, the STI movement today is almost akin to a one-way traffic, you know, from the get-go. You know, it's just been trending lower and lower mm. until the European market came in and opened positive. Not only then did the STI recover some of the earlier losses. So uh, when uh, I look to the at the closing of the U.S. market yesterday, mm. you know, especially with the you know slightly better than expected uh, inflation data, with you no know, mm. with the headline inflation coming in and I think 4.9 percent versus uh, an expectation of 5 percent, you know, personally I was expecting the U.S. market to retain the earlier gains it had, you know, when the CPI data was out. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, you know, and ended quite uh, lackluster. So uh, you know. What we have been seeing, or rather, the I have been seeing is that you know the Fed officials, the officials have you know shifted their focus from you know looking at lagging indicators of economic activities like hiring and you know considering the impact from recent bank failures on lending conditions and slowing economic activity. And uh, you know, I look at something published by Bank of America, which shows that you know uh, they are seeing a bit of a slowing of spending from uh, credit and debit card activity since early 2021. You know, amid hmm. uh, some evidence that there have been some downshifting of spending. So all this probably was at the back of the market's mind, you know, even as it digested uh, pretty uh, decent CPI data. David, you mentioned slowing of spending. We're seeing that here in Singapore as well. Life insurance sales down 13.6% in the first quarter amid that slowing economy. Let's take a look at some of the biggest movers for today. Any standout for you? Any surprises there? Uh, well, I think one big mover which actually caught my eye would be actually a warrant. Not just a warrant of a listed company, but mm-hmm. that of a spec. Because I remember a few weeks ago, I actually highlighted, you know, Vertex back 
uh, Warren actually uh, rising ahead of his AGM. And the same thing happened again to the Warren of Vertex uh, this afternoon, just ahead of his uh, first quarter 2023 updates. Uh, and this update was actually released at you know 5.24 p.m. after the market closure. But you know before that, uh, this Warren was actually up 200% today. So I suppose you know certain uh, investors were hoping that you know management will actually announce you know something uh, significant during the announcement. But looking at the announcement myself, uh, unfortunately, there was still no acquisition as yet. Mm. And let's zoom in on some of the companies to watch, uh, David. We have SIA mm-hmm. today, and SIA announced that it intends to redeem half of that mandatory convertible bonds it issued back in June 2021. Now, that was issued uh, during the pandemic as well to help the company tide over the period. SIA said the redemption now is part of an ongoing recalibration of SIA's balance sheet post-pandemic. To what extent can we take heart in this development? Okay, um, I think SIA has certainly come a long way since uh, this uh, issuance back then because I remember SIA's uh, MCBs were not popular at all when mm, the first crash yeah. you know, came out in 2020. In fact, uh, 96% of the first tranche uh, had to be taken out by Tomasek mm. because it was just severely undersubscribed. And um, by the time the second tranche, I think in June 2021, uh, if I'm not mistaken, only around 60% was subscribed. You know, definitely better than the first round, but the response was still not great and the remaining was again taken up by Tomasek. So if you ask me, should we take heart in this development? Well, I would say that, you know, uh, firstly, MCBs are actually a costly source of capital mm. and redeeming them early, you know, tend to save the company some monies. So the MCBs are essentially like your zero coupon bonds, but, you know, have a set annual yield that start at 4% before I yeah. to 5 and then 6 you know, so on and so forth. So what this means is that the longer the MCBs are left unredeemed, the more expensive it becomes for us to redeem them in the future. So, um, and this, one of the key features of this M- MCB is that it can be converted to shares at yeah. the end of the 10-year mark. So if converted to shares, uh, you know, the MCBs could, you know, heavily dilute uh, SIE's current shareholders, mm. leaving them with a smaller stake in the entire company. So uh, basically, if I look at this corporation, uh, uh, it leads me to conclude that uh, redeeming the MCBs now seems like an efficient use of capital mm. by SIA on behalf of the shareholders, especially when it had already redeemed the first trench. Mm. So this um, also sends out a positive signal to the stock market. It's uh, akin to tell the market that, hey, I have enough cash in my balance sheet now, so I will not only be able to continue paying out dividends, but also to redeem the second trench. And I'm very comfortable with my financial right now. So I guess this is the message that uh, SIA is trying to send out. Thanks for that technical breakdown, David. Let's uh, move on to talk about the hot stock uh-huh. of the day, shares of The Place Holdings. Heavily traded, the group said it's in talks to sell up to 11% of New Vision Holding. So this, of course, is the entity that owns the land and building formerly known as Realty Centre on 15 Angle Street. Um, tell us a little bit about your observation there. Okay, um, I guess as shareholders of a company, you know, shareholders tend to want management to focus on the core business or businesses of the company. You know, unless the company in question is a conglomerate, then that's a different story. So in this case, uh, the place holdings is definitely not a conglomerate. And, you know, hence, uh, I believe we should focus on its core business, which is in uh, digital technology, if I'm not wrong. Okay. So uh, instead of indulging in a bit of property development, which, you know, take uh, resources away from the balance sheet and of course, precious time away from management, mm. imagining its core business. 
So in the same announcement that uh, the placeholding disclosed, you know, management spoke about focusing its efforts now with Stella Lifestyle. And for those who are unsure, uh, who are not, who are not really, uh, who not really know Stella Lifestyle well, this is actually a business arm of MLT which develops uh, digital media. Okay. So, um, I think, in fact, this is not something new. The market, uh, you know, first of all, learned about this collaboration in April last year. And in June last year, we got to know more details about this collaboration in the form of, you know, the two companies coming together to create a so-called, you know, uh, LIFE omnichannel system to improve uh, commuters and community lifestyle experience as well as enhancing uh, SME's capabilities within Singapore's digital economy. This is something along the line of, uh, you know, Singapore's vision for a smart nation. So the placeholding, uh, you know, will actually invest, uh, if I'm not mistaken, close to 200 million Sing dollar mm. for this project. So, uh, you know, this uh, 8.8 million uh, proceeds from selling this uh, property will help somewhat. So, uh, but bear in mind that uh, this project is not a short-term project. There is uh, certainly will be a bit of a gas station before we are able to see the project's barefoot. Mm. And you were talking about that 8.8 million Sing dollars, uh, David, which is mm-hmm. about 13.6% of the company's market cap asset midday trading break today. To what extent has that boosted um, the trading of a stock today because it's up some 22% or so, right? Sure. Yeah, of course, you know, with this, pro- with this process, the shares, you know, to some investors could be looking, could be looking a bit cheap in terms of valua- valuations. So the company's cash balance is also going to be boosted by this cash. So this may have, you know, prompted some in- investors, you know, to speculate that you know, the company may just give a, I don't know, a one-off special dividend. Hmm. Okay, if you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. Uh, David, we do have a number of other local firms making the headlines today. Uh, quite heavy. Uh, Singpost posted their, posting their a 28% decline in net mm-hmm. profit for the second half of the year ended March. Um, Elliot mentioned about it reviewing commercial sustainability of domestic postal business. Uh, any thoughts on this? What stood out to you so far? Okay, uh, well, for Singpost, I haven't seen the market you know, got excited over Singpost for a long, long time. Mm. And with these results, um, I believe sentiments towards this stock should remain status quo. The last time market got excited with this stock, I think, took place uh, between the year 2011 and uh, to early 2015 before the music actually stopped. Mm. And the last piece of, I think, really good news that I remember would be uh, Alibaba's uh, partnership with Singpost, I think, announced in uh, May 2014, if I'm not mis- mistaken. Mm. So with the recent uh, financial re- results, uh, was, uh, quite, uh, quite, I would say, use the word dismayed. Because mm. uh, if I look at the numbers of the uh, brokers covering this stock, you know, for some of them, it was like 40% below their forecasted numbers. And uh, looking deep into the financials, the key surprise, I think, mainly to me and the sell side uh, would be that there seems to be a prolonged weakness in the post and parcel segment, uh, which remain loss-making. So on a, even though on a half-on-half basis, the logistics segment, uh, EBIT contribution remains stable with uh, some growth coming uh, from Australia, offsetting some of the declines in your freight forwarding contributions. But your post and parcel segment still remain, uh, you know, mm. okay. unexciting. Okay, I so I guess, um, yeah. that's right. So I guess investors who have been following Simpost for a while, you know, understand the underlying challenges of uh, this 
business models. We have been seeing margin erosion, I mean, declining real, real, uh, real volume and the entry of more competitors coming into the logistics space. So mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, quite quite a tough environment for Singapore to be in. Okay, and well, from postal and logistics, let's uh, switch gears to look at the property sector, David. Capital Land Investment posting there an 11% rise in revenue from its real estate investment business to around $447 million for Q1. Fraser Properties likewise seeing there a 52.2% rise in net profit. But on the other hand for today, we do see Manulife US REIT, Prime US REITs seeing a fall in occupancy and net property income. What does it say about recovery of the property market thus far? Okay, um, if I may use one word to sum up the discrepancy, that would be uneven for mm. sure. So, and if you look at the revenue drivers of uh, capital land investment, um, its revenue is actually made up from its fee income related businesses such as those in lodging, property and fund management mm. on a global scale. And in the case of Fraser's, uh, which is uh, less diversified than uh, Capital Land, property development revenue from China and Singapore will actually be the main drivers. However, in the case of uh, Manual Life and Prime, uh, we're seeing more concentrated exposure to the U.S. Uh, property market to specific asset classes. And mm. we all know that U.S. property market is, at, is the epic center of your know, interest rate hike. Yeah, okay. That's right. So, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Please go ahead. Please go ahead. Um, I was going to. Well, I was going to say that you know what's happening to the U.S. Uh, assets of the above mentioned U.S. REITs is that you know higher discounts rates, uh, which we are seeing now, are driving a higher cap rate, higher cap rates, which in turn uh, is adversely impacting the valuation of their assets. Mm. Okay, and you mentioned about interest rates, David, and let's mm-hmm. wrap up the conversation by talking about the trio of local banks. Uh, interest okay. rates on the rise and, uh, of course, Singapore banks getting a lift there. They continue to post robust results for the first quarter. But it seems like net interest margins appears to appear to be past their peak. Any thoughts on this and what that means for bank earnings in the coming months? Okay, if you look at the uh, interest rate related revenue of uh, of a bank, it typically makes up nearly 50% of a bank's top line. Mm. And with uh, net interest margin actually reaching a high in the fourth quarter last year, and uh, lower net interest margins in general from what we have seen from you know first quarter of this year's update from the local banks, uh, it's uh, like more likely than not that uh, interest net interest margins are going to to be low if not stable for the rest of this year. And compounding this trend is also uh, deposit pressure. And I'm sure most of us most of us have seen the banks actually advertising for higher rates of the FD since the start of the year. So the names are definitely going to be pressured going forward. And uh, we also have lingering concerns from the state of the U.S. banks and uncertain environment, which yeah. is also going to have an impact on the local banks' uh, non-interest income and possibly loan growth as well. So the only positive for now will be a still decent, uh, strong you know, fee income growth coming from the wealth management activities of the bank. But if this uncertainty lingers on, I'm mm. sure some form of weakness will actually creep into the wealth management activities. Hence, with mm. all this, I think um, it's not hard to see why we should be expect why we shouldn't why we should be expecting things to slow down, you know, a little, mm. bearing any global recession. Okay, a little bit of easing there. Thanks a lot, David. That was David Chow, director of Azure Capital. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM eighty nine point three. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. 